It's early September. There's been clouds above today, <laughs> thunderstorms, heavy showers. It looks like Wimbledon Reservoir is finally <laughs> refilling after a dry summer here in Exmoor. And we've got a very special podcast today. Uh, Lucy and I are here. Hello, Lucy. Hello, David. Lovely to see you again, face to face again, you know, rather than over Zoom or another conferencey thing. Um, but today we're introducing Pete Manstephen. Now, Pete is a neighbour of the Oval in Dunster, uh, lives over there on West Street and uh, arguably one of Dunster's most relaxing residential streets, absolutely divine street to live on. Um, and some guests and some listeners may know Pete from his uh, band, Mini Hates the Hoover, which is a regular fixture at various venues across Dunster. I think uh, I've seen you at the Foresters, at Tithe Barn. Yep. Um, and also at the Lateral Arms. Lateral Arms, Stags, been playing all over the place. He's played yeah. all the big, all, all the, the big, big venues. venues. The O2 in Dunstan. <laughs> that's right, that's right. The Fillmore East, the yeah. Stags. <laughs> and Pete's a bit of a fixture because he's got a lovely little dog. So, welcome, Pete. Tell us about your dog a little bit because, I, God. Yeah. Well, Minnie is... Uh, my little border terrier. She's oh. ten now, yeah, but she's pivotal to all of this. Mm. So, although I may not be talking about her all of the time, mm. actually, it is about her all mm. the time. I mean, the band's called Minnie Hates the Hoover because she hates the Hoover. It's not a terribly imaginative title, but it's done. It's served us well because people remember it. Yeah, mm. and um, and she was the excuse as much as anything for going for a walk. Mm. I was taking the dog for a walk, which is, I don't know, for some strange reason, an altogether more acceptable thing than just going for a walk. And also that it gave a, a level of discipline to it mm. in terms of needing to do it every day and so on. And that, as we will find as I talk about um, the book, is um, central to, to how the stories came about. Mm. And so, Pete, you mentioned there about your book. Uh, you're an author. Mm-hmm. Um, you're a performer. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, primary school educator mm-hmm. uh, in your corporate past or your mm-hmm. uh, your career past. What what made you land in Dunster? Because all three of us around this table, we've all sort of landed mm. here. You know, we're not, we're not we don't hark from these parts. So why Dunster? Well, um, again, it's mini. Really, it was. It was. Uh, we we um, we used to go for uh, uh, an escape weekend. Mm. Myself and my wife, um, once a month. When I was uh, a head teacher, and more latterly, when I was the CEO of a multi academy trust, the levels of of, of responsibility I'm not, that's not a love me, love me thing to say. Look, everybody works hard, but it, but it, it was good for me to get away. Mm. And because the school that I ran um, was in the very much in the locality that I lived getting away wasn't staying at home mm. so we used to go away and we'd get out to Devon or we'd go over to, to, to the, the, the um the what's it oh, was, the mine's gone but around Stroud and things mm. oh Cotswolds yeah mm. Cotswolds that's mm. the fellow we'd go away um and have, have a break and somehow or another I can't remember why Michelle booked us into the lateral arms <laughs> and they were so lovely with men mm. I've, I've never been anywhere where the waitress comes and takes the dog's breakfast order before the people's. Um, and it just, because I'm soft like that, 
I loved it. You know, the instructions in the room are to the dog. Yeah. Mm. You know, if you if you if mum and dad have forgotten the towel, don't worry. There's some downstairs, uh, and I'm a sucker for all that kind of thing. So of course we came back, which is I'm sure <laughs> what's behind doing all of that. Yeah. So we came back and we came back and we came back and we came back, and it was over that period of time that um, that I needed to stop work. I didn't have any choice. I was poorly, and as a result of that, we decided to to sell up and and, and where we were we were living, which was in Bath, more or less, and uh, and go move to the country in the classic escape to the country sort of way. And although we had in our fantasy world intended to go to Devon, we didn't. We mm. came to to Dunster instead, and I've never regretted it for one second. It is, in my humble opinion, the best place in the world. Mm. I just love it. Yeah. I, I I always remember. I'm sorry. I, I just always remember when we first met, and and I think you'd arrived in Dunster a couple of months before, and I'd just come back from Portugal. We'd just come back from Portugal, and we'd moved into a small cottage on St George's Street, and you were walking me, mm. and uh, neither of us had seen each other before. And I was on the doorstep going, "Oh, it's so good to be back." And uh, and we had that brief interchange, yeah, yeah. and I remember I remember to this day the conversation, and I remember you saying, "Oh, this place is just perfect. It's perfect. Um, you know, it doesn't have the theatre, and it no. doesn't have the cinema. Well, it doesn't have in my head, but you know, it doesn't have all those trappings of living in a city on the edge of a city." Isn't it wonderful? Yes, it is. And Lots of people have said that, yeah, haven't they? When yeah. we've been talking about Dunster, and it doesn't have a lot of these things, these fancy things. That uh, and I, because well, I moved from London, and I thought, oh my god, I'm going to miss the cinema. I'm going to miss a Waitrose. I'm going to miss going into London on the train and going to the nice shops. I don't miss it at all. No, I, I certainly don't miss it. All, all of that was there in Bath, and I don't miss it at all. In actual fact, one of the the main kind of agents of change for us. Was, was myself and my wife sitting there and thinking everything that we're paying all this money for mm. in terms of the mortgage to live in this place. You're not using. We're not using. No. Let's just don't go there. We get in the car whenever we can get away and go to somewhere that hasn't got them. Well, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Let's go there then. Yeah. <laughs> it's quite sensible, yeah. really. And, but the main thing for me, yes, it is very, very beautiful. And yes, it has got the most extraordinary sort of topography, geography. Um, but the community is fabulous. Mm. I mean, I, I, Grew up, spent my youth really um, with my wife in 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 a, a little fishing village in Cornwall, um, and it was idyllic. I mean, absolutely quintessentially idyllic fishing village. Um, but you didn't exist unless you were third generation. Mm. You know, you, really and truthfully, it was it was sort of oh, about that. Yeah, it's a newcomer. Your, your father were born in St. Kever. Can't yeah. trust him. They'd eat their children there. <laughs> you know, it's absolutely hopeless. And yeah. in that sense, yeah. whereas what I just found with, with, with Dunster is that it's actually very inclusive. It's very welcoming. If you, if you throw yourself into the life of the village, um, then there's every opportunity to do that. Mm. If you, if you choose to step back and not have much to do with it, then maybe it isn't quite the same. Gushy welcome, but I—it's I, suited. But me there's lots of ways of getting well. involved, aren't there? Oh, yeah. I mean, having a dog does help. It helps a lot because it's a great way to bump into people and get talking to people. Yeah. But I find even when we're cleaning at the Oval and we have the door open, you know, opposite you, um, 
people come in, they look in the hat and then they come in and they say, oh, hello. And I'm there standing normally, standing on a stall in a pinny <laughs> with my rubber gloves on, looking slightly mad. Looking good. <laughs> and, <laughs> and they say, oh, hello. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And it, just because it's that village, you almost feel that you can do it, and it is very friendly. And a lot of us are not locals, no. And that community is really strong, actually. And yeah. we're we're all. I would say we're all very similar. We we haven't come for the same reasons, but we want something similar yeah. when we're there, don't we? Yeah. I also had the huge um, good fortune in terms of being a sort of turbocharged journey into the heart of the place that um, because my background professionally is primary education um, and because the head teacher one evening as I was walking past in the dark in, in I think it was in September la whatever it was five years ago um, and I said I bet you're the head teacher because she was coming out with boxes and boxes of books at 10 o'clock at night and she sort of laughed and laughed and laughed and we had a little chat and she'd heard of me because she's read stuff that I'd written so um, she wanted me to become a governor. So I became a governor because that seemed like a sensible mm. thing to do. So the minute you do that and there was yeah, a volunteer playing it, well, you're looking after their children, yeah. aren't you? So yeah. you know, what could be, what could be a more trusted thing? Yeah. And, uh, and so that was a beautiful way to become part of the warp and weft of it. And, um, yeah. So that's, that was, that was great. And I really enjoyed that. I did that for four years. Um, when I came to the end of my office, I, I thought, other things had taken um, so much of my time um, that it would be a good idea possibly to park the governance, although I still volunteer in the schools a couple of times a week to do the music with them and singing and song. Mm. Yeah, so that's been been great fun. Yeah, Dunster is a bit like a warm comfort blanket, and we've yeah, spoken about this on podcasts before, yeah. that in, in some ways... And, and it's it's interesting because I think our guests also feel the same way that uh, and we spoke to a guest at the Minehead Constituents yeah, earlier did. on today and, and listeners of this podcast will have heard this story uh, before but people do treat the cottage as a place to relax mm. and there was one guest today and he basically said he's doing exactly the same thing that he does at home sitting down reading a book in front of the fire but without the stresses of, of yeah. daily life and I think that's magnified in a place like Dunster because you're in those historic surroundings, mm. in a historic mm. village mm. with a castle perched on yeah. the hill. And you really are taken out of everyday life. Yeah, you are. And you're fortunate that you've made it home. Yeah. And clearly oh. integrated into the community. I, feel, I mean, I know this word gets used an awful lot these days because it's become a little bit trendy, but I do genuinely feel blessed. Mm. I really do feel blessed to mm. be here. Um, you know, I was having a very funny conversation the other day with um, a guy who's just moved to the village who I'm teaching guitar to. Um, and he, he said, what was it? Perhaps it came. Oh, yeah, I know what it was. I've recently discovered that the, the young lady that runs the Castle Coffee Shop, mm. Olivia, does really rather spectacularly wonderful donuts on a Saturday, which, oh. which she makes. And they're really rather wonderful. Yeah, I've heard about the donuts. Oh. So uh, I was talking to him about that. And he said, oh, donuts, donuts. Oh, no, 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 no. I said, these are, these are almost health food. So trust me. And he just fell about laughing and he said, you mean their health food in the strange parallel universe that is Dunster? And I thought, well, yes, it is a bit of a gated community like that. And, it is a, and there is something sort of slightly time stop about it. But yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that's it, isn't it? It's at the end. Well, it's not actually at the end. That's wrong. It's in the middle of the A39. Mm -hmm. um, 
and we spoke before we started recording about that distance, you know, that distance, that hour from the M5 mm. at Bridgewater mm. or Taunton, which does sort of create a unique environment for you. Yeah, it does. It, really? it operates in the same kind of way. When I, when I, I mean, we haven't, for, partly because of COVID, I suppose we'll do it again. But I used to, I used to love going to Greece. And we used to go to Greece quite a lot, go to the islands quite a lot. Um, and the secret of having a lovely time in Greece was to make sure that it was a little bit of a pain to get there. Mm. That's all you needed. You only needed yeah. 40 minutes on a boat, 30, yeah. 40 minutes on a boat, a place more or less to yourself. Yeah. If you went and did something daft, like get a hotel next to the airport, funnily enough, it wasn't that great. Mm. And in some ways, the A39 operates like a boat trip to, I don't know, um, Ski or something. Yeah. yeah. I think yeah. there's some truth. Paxos and anti Paxos. Yes, yeah. that's those are the yeah. Yeah. yeah, it just absolutely away from it all. And, and a man of your talent. So we spoke before about author and, you know, the host and Minnie hates the Hoover and all of this stuff going on. Tell us a little bit about your writing. Because there's a book in front of me, yeah. which I hadn't seen before, right. but I have read a few of your pieces, as you know, and we had a bit of a, a chat about it, and I can feel my hair standing on end again. So tell us about your writing. Where's that inspiration come from? Well, I've written, I've written in one capacity or another for a very long time. Most of what I've had published has been um, academics, a bit of a pompous way to put it, but they've been professional texts mm. to do with education, to do with um, my own, the gospel according to Peter, as I used to call it. So it was, it was the, that's the majority of it. Um, uh, although I have written some illustrated children's books, which, which were published. But the, um, but this is different. This was written, um, uh, was it self-consciously? I think it probably was actually from the start as therapy mm. um so these the, this book that, that we're talking about today um walking with men which is subtitled just a mo stories because they're very short stories and the format that i've kind of mocked up around these stories is like the just so stories of kipling um so the uh these these stories came from a period in my life where I finished work and I'd finished work because I was ill. Um, and I, I think, I believe, I can't remember exactly what the, the, the medical, correct medical term for it was. I think it was probably post-traumatic stress, mm. but it's what in common parlance is a nervous breakdown. So um, I was um, quite changed as a human being by this, these events. And I found myself um, not, terribly much liking who I was <laughs> and the limits that what had happened to me were placing on me. So, uh, you know, from, from traveling, I mean, when the actual moment of, of breakdown occurred, I was coming back from London. I'd been with um, a government representative talking to the CEOs of multi-academy trusts from all over the country. Um, and the next day I spent three quarters of an hour in the shed hiding from the window cleaner mm. in case he saw me. Um, it was a big change. Mm. And walking was just the most fantastic medicine. Um, I was prescribed some substantial jollop to deal with anxiety and stress and so on in, in the wake of all of this. Um, and I used it for a short period of time, but it scared the living daylights out of me. And actually walking for me, proved to be as effective. I mean, you know, the data we've never got is what would have happened if we hadn't done what we did. But in my own story about myself, walking was salvational. Mm. I would say it saved my life. Mm. 
Um, and whilst I was walking, the reason that it was so influential also inspirational for me so changing was was not a physical thing at all I mean, i'm sure the, the benefits of exercise are well documented but it was really more like transcendental meditation it was my mind would just go off there was no telephone to answer there was nobody to speak to me i mean people did speak to me but they didn't really um and and i would walk from for miles and miles and miles and miles and be in my own company drifting away and every time i did that in would come a story and so I wrote them down. And that's what this book is, for the most part. Um, I mean, I think there are something like, in that particular book, I think there are something like 70 stories. Um, that's about half of the stories that I've got. And they're coming along all the time. Um, and because of the nature of my psychological state, an emotional state during that period of time. Some of them are quite troubled stories. Some of them are quite tangled. My, my, one of my friends calls them twisted yarns. Mm. Um, but they're, they're, some of them are quite dark. Some of them are actually quite scary. Lots of them aren't. Lots of them are really quite fluffy. And, and some of them are hyper funny. They're certainly meant to be. So there's a real mixture and breadth in there. But that was where these stories came from. It was therapy. Mm. And I think having sort of stumbled across this as a, uh, as a powerful and positive thing to do, I certainly self-consciously pursued this as a piece of therapy as time went on. I'm not sure that's how it started. Mm. And, and it, through the stories, uh, sort of things became unlocked that were troubling me and were deeply troubling me that I probably wasn't confronting and dealing with properly um, in the normal narrative of day-to-day life and family life and, you know, dog and children and so on and so forth. So, you know, what, there's a story in the, in the book, which I think is called A Skein of Geese, which is specifically about um, me driving. It was the last time that I drove, actually, for a while back from um, a, a session with a therapist in Bath and a skein of geese went over and I burst into projectile tears and I have absolutely no idea why. Mm. I have no idea what it was about the sound of the geese or the sight of them. Somewhere somewhere in my background, my backstory, this is obviously important. Um it's helpful to know it's important. I still don't know why, <laughs> but I just sat in a lay-by and sobbed and sobbed and sobbed at these at these geese flying over, which is ridiculous because I see them down at um, down at Dunster Beach all the time. I call them the Canadian Air Force, mm. and, they're a lot of them, uh, and they're absolutely gorgeous. Yeah. yeah, and they don't make me cry anymore. They make me smile. Mm. <laughs> so maybe that's the, the the best indication of how useful it is as therapy. And they're sort of like tales of the unexpected to people who are listening, aren't they? Some of yeah. them. That's how I, I mean, the first time I read them, I said to you, they were like audible. Yeah. So the kind of stories you would listen to that would have been on tales of the unexpected, yeah. not necessarily horror, no. but an unexpected twist at the end. Some of yeah. them are not like that at all. Some of them are endearing. They're charming. They're sweet. They're lots of tales from childhood. Um, and David and I have, have read a few. And it, interestingly, we like some of the same ones, which is really nice, but they're so varied. You know, that's the thing that struck me was 
you go from sort of A to Z at like 100 miles an hour, but they're so enjoyable and they're quick. And I, I think there's part of me that thinks people want things to be quick, even what they read. They want palatable, yeah. small bites of... Yeah. Um, it's something that's different and yeah. gets you thinking. It's a, it's a, it's a sort of a cross between the the tales of the unexpected and the fast show. I yeah, mean, that's basically what it is, I yeah. guess. Mm. And um, I love I love those twists. I mean, I love the Roald Dahl tales of the unexpected. When I was a child, and I always remember that lovely one with the leg of lamb as a murder weapon. I just thought, <laughs> <laughs> and, the guy, and the guy who, who chopped up the Chippendale furniture <laughs> to get it in the van. I mean, it's just lovely, isn't oh, it? Yeah. Yeah, I, and, and all the every day brings a perfect a perfect twist like that. Every day does, and I think one of the things about writing that I find so fascinating, whether it's songs or or, or fiction or non-fiction, indeed, is that words words have a personality and a behaviour of their own, and when they meet other words, they do all kinds of things that you didn't expect to happen. That is is way better than you would have intended. And it's just lovely the way they bang off each other and create wonderful sparks and rainbows that possibly, that, that actually weren't in your mind. And you can sit there afterwards and take credit for it. Yes. But actually it wasn't you. I know exactly mm. what you It was the language doing its own beautiful, yeah. mysterious magic like it does. And, and, uh, and I love that. And that was really there in Dull. I mean, there was a lovely incident this morning, which I mean, I will write a story about. Um, which was, uh, there's a, a, a lady that I have, um, I met walking Ming. There you go. Central to everything again. Um, who lives down in, 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 in Dunster March, who, uh, is, lives on her own. She's been a widow for a long time. She's in her late eighties. And I take her shopping and do little bits and pieces for her because she kind of reminds me of her, my mum, actually. She's, um, a very outspoken lady <laughs> and, uh, she's, um, quite a force of nature. Anyway. I was taking her shopping this morning and when I got there, she was standing waiting for me and she couldn't go shopping because she was feeling too poorly. So um, she gave me a list like she would and she gave me um, a load of letters to post and and I went off to Tesco's at seven o'clock this morning to do her shopping for her and mine. And I was very confused because I have to keep it separate. And last time I tried to keep something separate, one of the staff at Morrison's thought I was shoplifting oh. because I was putting things in a bag uh, and yeah. looking back on it, it yeah. was very stupid and naive yeah. of me and I can see exactly, don't blame yeah. the person, the no. security guard at all, but I, I did feel awful afterwards. So anyway, I was very, very flustered about this. So I got down there and I went to post her letters and of course I posted her bloody list oh, no. <laughs> at the same time as I posted no. her letters. Oh. So, I mean, that kind of thing is it's a simple little, ever such a small thing. Yeah. But when you start to write about it, mm. the words run away with it and they mm. turn it into something which is actually worth telling as a story. Even if the plot nakedly put down as a flowchart isn't really up to much. No, mm. but then you have the words and the imagination yeah, and the bang, other bang, bang, experiences. Bang, bang. And there yeah, and you've got firework night before you know it. There was an author on the radio this morning who's 85, who's up for his first Booker Prize. Oh, really? And he still writes in longhand. And he said um, that the, the, so the, you know, the guy says, why do you still write in longhand? You know, surely it's easier to type. And he said, no, because... When I type, the words don't have a personality or yeah, a feeling. Mm. But when I write with my elbow, those words are, they have a meaning and yeah. they often come out of my hand without me knowing. Mm. And yeah. 
I thought that was really similar to yeah. what you're saying. Yeah. And that is the creative process, yes, isn't it? Is it is the creative process. Words flow out. They do. They do. And I mean, what the way that I, the way that I write, and I mean, I've got a story here which I um, Don't possibly read. Read, read in a moment. Yeah. Um, the way that, that the stories are written for me is um, there has to be something to latch it onto. It might just be a skein of geese. Mm. It might be... Um, the, a list the, in a letterbox. A list in a letterbox. Um, I remember one that I wrote a while ago where there were some goldfinches. I believe the collective noun is a charm. A charm of goldfinches sitting on some barbed wire. And there was something juxtapositionally fascinating mm. about the, the viciousness of the barbed wire and the beauty of the goldfinches. And they looked like musical notes. And the story's away. Wasn't anything. To, the story wasn't anything to do with goldfinches. No. Wasn't anything to do with music, and it wasn't anything to do with barbed wire. Although perhaps it was, but that's what started it. And the important thing for me when writing is to start. Mm-hmm. Start writing. You you won't necessarily have the thing in your head. You'll have something to do with it. But if you don't start, I remember my art teacher many many years ago saying to me, "Pete, if you sit, if you wait for inspiration, lad, you'll wait yeah, forever." Come. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so don't wait for inspiration because she's a fickle moo and she won't turn up. Do you know, it's so funny you say that. Many years ago when I was at university, one of my friends of mine changed course from philosophy to English. And he put a lot of pressure on himself. He wanted to do English. That was what he was passionate about. Um, And he'd started in philosophy and he hated it. So he went through a lot of hoops to get onto this English course. And eventually they said, "Okay, we'll do it. Anyway, I remember going into his room and his essay, first essay was due in the next day and he was sat there literally in tears, head in hand, never seen, uh, you know, he was a 19-year-old guy, I'd never seen him upset like this before. And um, he said, I can't do it, I'm just not good enough, I should never have changed from philosophy, I need to go back. And I said exactly the same thing, write something on that piece of paper, you've just got to start writing, it doesn't matter what it is, mm. but... You've got to start somewhere, haven't you? Because if you do wait, the hours just go by and nothing happens. And sometimes you might write something and look back at it and go, it's rubbish. But sometimes when I'm writing for work, sometimes I read back something I wrote a year ago and I go, God, that's good. Yeah, 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 that's right. I wrote it. Brilliant. And I'm sure you do the same. And when we say to you, oh, we read beef for lunch or we, you know, the one on the holiday, the holiday cottage one, which I would like to talk about because it's so funny. Um, and, you know, when someone says, I read it and I loved it, you know, the feeling of that. Oh, it's, a, it's a, so nourishing. It's yeah. so incredibly nourishing. Particularly where they came from. Yeah. You know, they came yeah. from a bad place yeah, initially. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, at the, at the end of the day, whether it's music or, 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 or literature or, or I don't know, anything, anything. anything really, fundamentally we're talking about communication. Yes. And that's putting what's funny stuff's going on in my head into your head and is authentic and powerful and, and um, respectful way as possible. Mm. And we don't know what's going on in no. your head. Mm. We take the no. story no. at face value. That's right. And that, and that could mean very different things to yes. the reader. So and, let's, and let's think, hear one. Yeah, let's, absolutely. Because I'm desperate to hear this one about the horticulture. Yeah, and we've not heard this before. No, so. no this is brand new, Pete. You've written it yesterday. for this podcast. Yep. There we this go. is yesterday. And it was, it, it's been, uh, I, I was explaining to, to David and to Lucy just before uh, this, that the... the the 
the version that will go into anything that I write in the future, because I will use it, so I think I'm quite pleased with it, <laughs> uh, probably has rather more um, Anglo-Saxon in it than, than this does. I've yeah. cleaned it up because that seemed the responsible thing to yeah. do. Apple Podcasts, if you're listening, this is completely clean. So yeah, that's right, that's right. This is called Al Camilla Morris. It was the day of the show. The Horticultural Society annual show. The show. Jackie stepped outside the back door of her cottage and breathed in the early August morning on this prince among days. It had been wet overnight and the beads of rain sat like quicksilver, crazy diamonds running over the dragon-frilled leaves of the Millie Molly Mandy. It had always been one of Jackie's dearest sights and never failed to remind her how lucky she was to live here, surrounded by simple but unbelievably complex beauty and drenched in the sacred wonder of countryside. This was her religion. This gave her the spiritual fix that others sought in scripture, mosque and temple. She felt tiny, small and yet massive at one and the same time. And the hills, the fields, the shoreline and the sky seemed to shrink until they almost became a hedgerow that she lived under and scuttled along about her bucolic business every day. Then it all exploded to cram the whole cosmos with its green and pleasant aching perfection. A big bang within a single seed head the universe in a pot. She didn't think any of this, of course. She was getting her entries ready for the show. Some of her craft entries, embroidery, anything crochet with a practical application, had gone to the Tithe Barn the previous evening. But the real stars, group of tomatoes, vegetable chutney, pickled eggs, three runner beans, a basket of five herbs, small flower arrangement, dahlias, and so on and so on. All of these were last minute arrangements that relied pivotally on freshness and that bloom of fecund promise that begins to die as soon as it's picked. Everything had to be there by 10, so that judging could take place in time for the visiting magi of the marrows to leave their decisions framed in certificate and pickled in rosettes. Jackie's husband had baked a cake. Every year, apart from the last two scuppered by Covid, the men of the village cast aside their masculinity and strayed shyly into the feminine world of baking. How we all laughed as Jeff bashfully presented his lemon drizzle, or Rob, his great ham hands trembling, gently placed his carrot cake on the trestle table. More familiar with a Massey Ferguson than a Moulinex? And sweating within the strange constriction of his collar, the cake nevertheless carried so much more with it than a whiff of cinnamon and the 50 pence potential prize money. These little forays into a different world delighted the village and, as the fruits of their unfamiliar labour glistened on their doilies and the cakes sank as one, something vital blew through the old rafters of the barn. The adhesive of forever once more pulled this little community together. Newcomers, Pre-war locals, the whole soap opera of the village, pretended winning didn't matter and waited for judgment with trembling souls. It's the taking part that counts. Is it like as heck? <laughs> so the old barn teemed with people, all known to one another, all the inevitable politics of past shows as well as the rest of village life, pulsed quietly beneath the genteel rural gathering, the greetings and the gentle teasing. As Joni once famously noted about a different kind of love, if you care, don't let them know. Don't give yourself away. Twelve o'clock came, and Jackie was trying to feign a degree of devil-may-care so whatness as she came back into the barn, having watched the judges leave to a distant village for lunch. 
Years ago, controversial decisions and the resultant scenes that followed have created the precedent of not allowing the judges to lunch in the village within range of the sharp tongue and the deftly hefted flapjack. Jackie surveyed the tables. Her chilli jam was unplaced. Her basket of herbs, similarly. Well, there were small victories. Three courgettes did well, but then being placed third when there are only three entries in total is hard to gracefully <laughs> celebrate. Equally, some solace could have been sought in the unlikely victory in the crochet section, but Helen Keller could have seen that the other entries appeared to be the work of a remedial chimp. Why? How? Injustice is a bitter drink, and Jackie felt her gorge rise with the surfeit of it. Jackie's husband, equally mortified by his failure to draw any kind of distinction for his lemon drizzle-flavoured scale model of a sinkhole, tried to console her. It's not important, dear. There's always next year. Pillock, Jackie <laughs> thought. One of the committee members, lovely Vera, who had accompanied the judges on their rituals of arbitration, stretched in, stepped in to try to ease Jackie's pain. She knew what torment this would cause. It seems that your, I thought, rather lovely and inventive labels, so creative, indicated your name, and so I'm afraid you were disqualified, Vera explained. This referred to the inexplicably passed over chilli jam. Furthermore, Malcolm told me, Vera continued, Malcolm being the specific committee member allocated to the judge responsible for grading the baskets of herbs, that because you regrettably lined your charming basket with rosemary, that made it six not five herbs. And I'm afraid once again you were disqualified. <laughs> so harsh, I feel. Vera smiled with transparent duplicity. She didn't feel it was harsh. Quite the contrary. The gods of justice had finally given Jackie bloody simpering Sweetie Tomlinson the kick in the crutch he'd been cruising for for years. <laughs> Last year, the coward won the preserves section with the self-same sodding chilli jam who wants to eat chilli jam. In Vera's world, a clear contradiction in preserving terms. She couldn't understand it. But perhaps the Euripidean tragic destruction of such abject failure following such ill-deserved success was worth it. How the mighty fall. Ha! And how much more deliciously satisfying the increased gradient and distance of descent makes the whole thing. Oh, I see, Jackie replied. Quite understand. Seems a little zealous, but I suppose fair, she added. Damn, 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 she thought. Look at that two-faced bag, Vera Plumbing's enjoying every second of this. I bet the evil cow put the judge up to it. Well, to hell with her and to hell with the old crooked shambles. Jackie gathered up her entries and left the barn. A huge part of any show is clocking other people's successes and particularly failures. And so Jackie was acutely aware of dodging sympathetic and gleeful gazes in equal number as she scuttled back to her Alcamilla Mollis. Back to her garden and the fairy universe where God is indeed in his and her heaven and all things are bright and beautiful beneath the shadow of Grabist Hill, the purple-headed mountain where Cecil Francis Alexander perceived that very river running by so many years ago in a better age, one that Jackie felt most acutely to get today that she belonged to. As she left, she briefly discussed the decisions with her friend Charmian on the raffle stall. Charmian, with studied indiscretion, let slip the name and address of the judge who arbitrated over the section that included the basket of five herbs. He gave us eyes to see them and lips that we might tell. No connection was made when the judge's Land Rover needed a new engine six months later. <laughs> it seemed that the whole block seized solid. Three jars of chilli jam in the fuel tank is a poor lubricant for a 4 by 4 Very good. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, 
I was transported immediately. <laughs> 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 oh, I love the magi of the marrows. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. Oh, and the Euripidean tragedy. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Absolutely love it. Mm. So that gives people a feel for yeah, what, what they're like. like. Yeah. And some are a bit darker than that. Yeah. Mm. Um, chili jam. Mm. It's a good thought. Yeah, it, it certainly if is. If someone annoys you, <laughs> chili jam in their, in their petrol. <laughs> maybe, maybe I've got someone in mind. Of course, I'm not recommending this. I don't no, know. no, but, that, yeah. but I think that that epitomises a, a lot of what I read into your work when I was reading this morning, uh, because it, it, yeah, there's that hilarity, there's that anecdote. I'm not sure that and that's the, anecdote. The observation, it's observation. Yeah, that's the seeing yeah. seeing people's. Uh, what I I often do this with animals is you know I'll think what my cats are saying oh, to yeah. each other or to me. Um, and you, you know, the way you do it where, you know, she's trying to lose in a dignified way, but actually in the back of her mind, she's talking to herself and full of hate and anger and viciousness. And I just think that is how people are. Yeah, it is. You know, with her, and also I've seen some of this judging and it is things like, well, you lined your basket with a herb. Mm. So technically there were six, not yeah, right. It's exactly the kind of yeah. nitpickiness that you get it with is. these things, isn't it? Yeah, I, I, I think... In terms of whether these are, this is not CCTV coverage of of, of Dunster Show. Of course, no, it's not. No. Of course not. No, absolutely not. But I mean, I think what happens is in, in in all of these stories, and probably anybody writing anywhere, is that of course there's a degree a degree of autobiography about it. Mm. Of course, there's a degree of, of of truth in it. In this, whatever that means. But it's a version of the truth, and it's drama. Yeah, mm. and you, you you camp it up dreadfully. Of course, you, of course you do, because because otherwise it's not going to be. Interesting well, to it's not. Well, also, if we knew what the ending was, we wouldn't want to listen to the story. My favourite, my favourite work of fiction ever, and I read it about three times a year, and it's along with the lyrics of Leonard Cohen, the soundtrack of my life. Cheery. Is um, <laughs> oh, I think he's ever so funny. <laughs> Field Commander Cohen was our most important spy. <laughs> Brilliant. What a line. There's a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. Fabulous stuff. Anyway. Um, is is the wind in the willows? I, was I knew you were going to say that. The I wind read in the willows. It maybe not three times a year. Maybe and once a year. there's a line in the wind in the willows for everything. And there's this wonderful line in it where where um, mole has been upset by no 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 mole has chaffed I think some ducks and he's he's telling them off or some rabbits I can't remember and they're saying the, the other people are saying well you should have said this and you should have said that and you should have said the other thing and it basically says well we that it isn't what happened. But it's what we tell ourselves happened mm. afterwards. Yeah, no, no, and they're no, always yeah. the best stories. Yes, mm. yeah. And he's right, of course. And it starts beautifully, that book. You know, the, the first page oh, is, magical, is a lesson in how to write, That's really. just I, My favourite bit of that book is where um, Maul does that massive picnic and he goes out in the boat and Rat says, oh, you're really mean with your picnics. You just, you know, all the other animals so much nicer, much bigger spread. And poor Molly's like, oh, no, I'm obviously not providing enough food. And, of course, he does these incredible, like, Fortnum and Mason yeah. star picnics. Almost one word. Yeah. <laughs> just potted, potted meat. Just yeah, it's just, yeah. just absolutely amazing. Yeah. And that Love lovely it. bit where he's packing away and he says, just as you packed it all away. And then, lo, the mustard pot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's just wonderful I think, and stuff. It's not really a children's book, no. but it is a book to read to children. It's so beautiful, and you can just 
imagine it in your head like this. You know, I can, I have been to a number of horticultural shows and I can visualise the whole thing. I can imagine what, you know, what she looks like and her fairy universe mm. that she lives in. And, mm. and I think that's lovely just to bring it to life and bring a village to life in the yeah. way they do. Yeah. But they're not all set in villages, are there? No. I mean, there is this great one, Devonshire, which we both liked, which is where this couple go to a holiday cottage and um, <laughs> thankfully not like <laughs> certainly not and it no. all ends up rather unfortunate doesn't well, it it does there's, 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 a, there's a, a bit um, it's about a couple who go off uh, to, to Devonshire and they stay in a holiday cottage and they um, remind unbeknown to them they remind the owner of the holiday cottages of her ex-husband who left her uh, for a much younger woman and they provoke in her, again, completely unbeknownst to them, the anger and viciousness and, and um, hurt that all of those events brought about and have not left her in one jot. And um, she leads them to believe that it's okay to eat a particular kind of mushroom, which mm. actually kills them. <laughs> and um, and uh, it's, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, just because she they reminded her of, of her ex-husband. Mm. <laughs> uh, it really, uh, when I read it, I wasn't expecting that ending. <laughs> and that's it, what's it lovely is, about them, it isn't is, it? It is. Manslaughter in your mind doesn't crop yeah. up when you think of holiday no. cottages. <laughs> glorious danger. Um, but yeah, that one... That one hit me like a oh, train. Okay. It, was, it was great. I hope people are going to be able to read them because they're not published, are they? No, they, they've been, they've been, I have um, arranged for them to be organised into a book which appears to have been published, which has got lots of illustrations in, which are mine as well. Um, and that's fine, but they're not available. Because I think if I, if I was not to make a loss on selling one of them, I think they'd be about 30 quid each and yeah. nobody's going to want to do that. No. So if anyone's listening who can help with yes. that. That's right. Um, let, do get in touch because they are charming and and funny and dark and you know there's so much in them and they they are very I feel like they're unique and mm. I really hope someone is gonna come oh, across them and I... find them and also that you know maybe you can come and read a couple more to us. Yeah, yeah, and and as Lucy said earlier on, that audible context that that uh, you know maybe there's a podcast series in here because I think there are. There are some stories, as I say, that really moved me. And I think as someone that uh, has suffered with mental illness for a while, derived from a horrific experience in corporate life, I think could actually be mm. quite uh, quite supportive for when you're trying to go through a period of catharsis, because that's what I think you're talking about. It's yeah. that recovery, it's that yeah. therapy, that yeah. non-therapeutic yeah. um uh, intervention and I think they could be very useful and bearing in mind that I read these this morning they've left a mark mm. on they me. definitely have made an impression on you you've yeah. mentioned them quite a few times today when we've been out mm. oh, well that's, that's um, I'm, well, I'm, I'm, I'm delighted that, they, that they've worked in that way I mean I think the I am at, at, at this end of well it's not the end of the process because I still write them all the time mm. but the, the I am pretty evangelical actually about the capacity that one has to grasp this particular aspect of mental health 
and do something about it for yourself. Mm. That doesn't isn't to say that medical help isn't both welcome and critical, because clearly it is. But but certainly for me, this walking and writing stories, having an imaginary world that I could escape to and explore my anxiety, my anger, mm. my joy, my desires, my everything. I could explore them all in, in somebody else's land that I had invented um, was just so healing, mm. so healing. Mm. And it is that imagination mm. and what a place to be fulfilled in that way because mm. yeah take me out get me on my bike and you are in your own headspace mm. and isn't that amazing yes, it, yeah, it doesn't it that fill you with life yeah. and, and particularly when you're surrounded by such incredible natural beauty and and i suppose that takes me right back to uh the ground beneath my feet which mm. uh was one of the pieces that i read that, that i read this morning and Joni mitchell mm. appears in there so there's a link to music you know, he's mentioned it a few times. Turns up all the time. I think if you like words, you like lyrics. Yeah. I learned, you know, music is the thing that learned, uh, was where I learned writing. Mm. It came from there. It didn't come mm. the other way around. Mm. I didn't read. Mm. And then mm. it was always hearing the words and asking what the words meant. And in fact, my brother taught himself to read from the back of the Sgt. Pepper album. Yeah, I can well believe that. I can well and believe that. And he was that. tiny. Yeah. I can remember him with these massive earphones on following the words. Mm. Um, so when he went to school, of course, they thought he was like the next Mozart because he <laughs> could he knew all these crazy words. Yeah. He didn't know what they meant a lot no. of the time. You don't. But I do think, you know, you're Joni Mitchell's, John Lennon, you know, whoever mm. it is, whoever you love, Leonard Cohen, mm. does mm. it matter, Bob Dylan. Mm. They're, you know, they're there writing poetry they absolutely are writing poetry yeah they, they certainly are and, and and you're right i mean in, in lots of the lots of the stories are we talked a, a little bit about about um something like a sort of like, like a raindrop forming around a, a, a grain of dust yeah, you're, you're, something has to be there the germ crystal there, at the, the machine yeah, or whatever yeah and um very often for me in these stories it'll be um, a, a, a lyric or a piece of music or the feel even mm. that you get from a piece of music that that is um, that is absolutely not necessarily contained within the lyrics but it's how it makes you feel the place it takes you to because of course there's a huge link between music and memory and it takes you back to places and things that you knew um, I mean the one that you're talking about David is is, is around um, a, a piece of uh, a song that Joni wrote called um, Michael from Mountains mm. Um, which is oh, so beautiful, so powerful, and it was recorded. I heard it first um, actually on a, an album um, by Judy Collins, which was called Wild Flowers, which was one of the first albums that I owned, and uh, so it wasn't actually a Joni Mitchell album. So I think it's on Ladies of the Canyon, but it's a, but it's a it's a magnificent thing, and it was really around uh, uh, homelessness mm. and. The rejection of homelessness, rather more than the, the practical difficulties, although that features, it's this sense of being outside, cast aside, um, having lunch with yourself, mm-hmm. not being yourself, being trash on the pavement. Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, that it was what I imagine Joni Mitchell being a, she must have an enormous soul. You can't do that if you haven't. 
just reaching into that world mm. and being able to puncture so many layers of protection that this young woman had, 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 um, had grown like almost like a corn to cover her, her wounds. Uh, remarkable, remarkable stuff. Joni Mitchell. Music generally does that. There's another, another much lighter one in there, which is really based around the four tops and, um, and a song called Simple Game, which they recorded brilliantly. And it was actually by Moody Blues in the first place. And if I was ever to ask what cover song do I think is the best cover song ever, it's the four tops making something epic out of a really rather silly little tune that Moody Blues recorded. (laughs) 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 But yeah, yeah, yeah. So music's an integral part of your life. You write songs, you write lyrics and perform them? I write songs almost almost always. Mm. Most of what I write, I write for children. Mm. I write quite a lot of children's songs. And and that's really was from almost from necessity. Um, When I was running schools, uh, most of the schools that I run, I'm just checking this. Yes, most of the schools, three headships and two of them were, were Church of England. So it was very important to have um, major festivals properly recalled. And and actually a lot of them, it, there isn't any music for children. Mm. I mean, Easter is a, like, it's a video nasty. Mm. I mean, all of the songs about Easter, I don't want children singing those. Well, a lot of hymns really deal with some quite yeah, difficult... Yeah, it's really not very nice. Death particularly. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. so that was, it was really right. And Remembrance was another one, you know? Yes, mm. um, yeah. So, I mean, there's a song that we, we do, uh, Dunster, which yeah. I wrote, which is called uh, Little Scarlet Nudge, which is all about remembrance, which, which okay, was written for that reason, was written specifically for those children. But I do write stuff for, for, um, for adults. Um, it's the band. <laughs> we, we play, I think, I think this is true. Have to be very careful because you tell yourself some whoppers, don't you? <laughs> I I think it's true to say that when we are putting any kind of set list together, um, it's just what is, what are people going to have fun with, mm. not what do I like. That's really nothing to do with it. Mm. So you know, I mean, we we do everything from the Clash to Ernie, the mm. fastest milkman in the West. You know, um, because people will enjoy it and like it and join in or. So, you know, we would be singing Minnie the Moocher one minute because there's Heidi, Heidi, Heidi to sing along to. And then we'll be doing the final countdown and people are actually the lead instrument because they have to go all the way through it. You know, and it's fun. I mean, yeah. I can't stand that song. It's dreadful, but that's not the point. No. So we do. We, so, so we just and, and the only the, the, the main thing about Minnie Hates Thee, which people always remember, is we play for hours. <laughs> Hours and hours. You know, we start at seven and finish at eleven without mm. a break. Oh my god! Four do hours. You? I mean, there's seventy-three songs on the last list. That's insane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I can't speak the next day because my voice is completely gone. Mm. But it's That's just it's, and people just are going, aren't they? Yeah. With it, you know, yeah, yeah. The, the audience well, is when stammered, it's, stammered. When it's music, the standards, the ones that people yeah. love, the ones that make you laugh, the ones mm. that you can jump up and down to, and who cares? You know, gay yeah. abandoned, brilliant. Yeah, that's it's what you, what want. you want, isn't it? It's Any age, mm. go down the Foresters, or you yeah. go to the Tide Barn and the Garden, and it doesn't matter. No, does so, it? no. So we do Delilah. And yeah. we do um, Sweet Caroline. Yeah, but everyone knows the words. Yeah. Everyone knows the tune. And I always knew when you were performing because okay. our back bedroom used to... Uh, 
well, sorry. Basically, <laughs> basically, it was right. I know he's coming to the end of that set because it's Delilah, or it's yeah. you know. I, I, I he moved, know. you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah he's had enough. Wasn't down to you. Yeah. <laughs> Raggle, tackle, and you've really asked the song, haven't you? I have. I have. And yes. we had we had a listen, and David and I were laughing so much mm. because it was it's so funny and true, and all about Exmoor. Mm. So we're yeah. going to play that on this podcast yeah. so that people can get a sense. Well, they they've had a sense of how you write. But there's some real charm in that. Oh, good. That I'm glad tune. you enjoyed it. Mm. Yeah. Well, I've good. thoroughly enjoyed it. It's been a bit of a journey from first thing this morning yeah. until now. We've learned a so. lot about you today yeah, I, um, on this mm. podcast. Well, I've had huge fun, but then talking about yourself is lovely, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, 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 well, I would love to have you back, Lucy. I'm we definitely sure will. I think we should get you to do some more reading, and maybe we could do it. You could choose some Christmassy ones um, that people could listen to. Because I'm, you know, we've got a lot of people coming for short breaks. And I just think it would be lovely to leave them a little link to a podcast to say, get yourselves in front of the fire with Mm. a glass of something and listen to Pete reading some of these stories. And the scary ones for the adults when the kids have gone to bed. And the ones for the yeah, kids. that'd be fun. Good and pleasure. you could just read the first chapter of Wind in the Willows, frankly. Yeah. Or for an extra 50 quid, you can go and sit in the room with them. <laughs> <laughs> I think, yeah. it, but I do think increasingly, I listen to Audible an awful lot. Mm. You know, I listen to books all the time. And I, I just think the written word is, you know, it's lovely to read. But there is something very special and intimate about being read to. And at the moment, I'm listening to books that Penelope Keith is reading. Oh, really? And they're not literature. They're just murder mysteries set in a in village in, in Cotswolds. Um, but they are funny and they're silly. Oh, she's got such a great voice. And the way she says sandwiches, yeah. <laughs> I wait for the whole book to hear them go to the pub and have... And we had a gin and tonic and sandwiches, <laughs> and it, I love it. I just so I, every time I'm like, yes, I, we had a sandwich in that book. That's I know amazing. exactly what you mean. I listened to Master Chef just to hear John Taro mispronounce yogurt. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yogurt. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Yeah. Well, Pete, it's been as I say, a real pleasure, real, Good. real pleasure, enlightening day. It's uh, you know, I, I have this thing in my mind which always says, just learn something different something new every day mm. and yeah you've learned tick. a few things today yeah huge huge tick and uh, I agree with you about Joni Mitchell and uh, some of the stuff that's the same I never Resin got really... into Joni yeah my dad was a massive Joni Mitchell fan I've got so many of her albums in his box mm. but I've just never I really? must mm. I must dust off revisit it like I did Joan Armour trading I'll tell you again. the one I'd recommend for you yes she I suppose it must be probably around about the late 90s. It's the album that turns up in the film Love Actually. Okay. Oh, the, yes, that Emma, Emma Thompson gets yeah. and has to pretend yeah. she's surprised yeah. and it's not the necklace. And so. Alan Rickman's been a naughty boy. Yeah, mm. yeah. okay. And, and that one is um, cover versions. There's only one of her songs on it. Okay. And it's big band, 1940s style. Oh, I love a bit of the Cover band. versions. And she does things like um, it's a it's a it's a journey that it's a it's a concept album, but it's yeah. an acceptable one. Okay, the journey I'll of a love there. affair. But she does both sides now. Okay, and it's just mm. it, if you if you 
if he's not weeping at the end of that, phone A&E. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. it's, it's fantastic. <laughs> mm. All right, that's good advice. If There's you're not weeping by the end, phone A&E. <laughs> in fact, Joni Mitchell is in one of my favourite films, You Got Mail. And there's a yes. scene where Tom Hanks yeah. is walking through the market with Meg know. Ryan. Do you I didn't remember? Know she was in it. Was she? No, no. and he reads out a lyric. He oh. says a lyric to Meg Ryan and he says, I could never be with someone who likes Joni Mitchell. Mm-hmm. And Meg, Meg is like, I love Joni Mitchell. And then he quotes this lyric about clouds to her and he goes, What the hell does this mean? And she's like, Doesn't need to mean anything. It's just so beautiful. And it's. Really? Rows and flows of angel hair and ice cream castles in the yeah, air. and feathered canyons everywhere. It is that, way, yeah. yeah, and it's something about not. I, I don't understand clouds. Is how it goes. Mm. And he's like, "Why do you need to understand clouds?" And she's just, "Yes, yeah, yes, yeah. come on." Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. Mm. So we have discovered a joint love of words, mm. whether it's the lyric or the written word mm. or the spoken word or the sung word. Mm. Where so would we be without them? Where would we? So with that. We're going to uh, head over to this recording that Pete's put together. Yeah. Exclusively. Exclusively. Yes, we have the, the right. <laughs> you heard it here. I'm, I'm coming after you. Yeah, that's right. If there's any <laughs> iTunes matches. Yeah, we're, we're going to come after yeah, you. Yeah, we're going to come after you with our big lawsuit. With our, with our legal advice. <laughs> so, Pete, thank you. Pleasure. Yes, thank Lucy, you. thank you. Thank you. And over to you, delight. Pete. Where the wild moor meets the sea On the seven delta lands And the muddy waters wheeze and gasp For miles across the strands Where there isn't any hurry On the slow way 39 And you're a long way from anywhere And that's absolutely fine In the land that time forgot In a world of memories where you feel that this is as it was in the 1970s And I don't think there's a nightclub Or a club of any sort The train doesn't go to Taunton And I'm really not sure it ought Oh, there used to be a ferry But it no longer goes to Wales And if you can catch a signal anywhere You can bet your ass it fails In the land that time forgot In a world of memories Where you feel that this is as it was in the 1970s Desperate for a waitrose I'm afraid there's no solution But the stars shine bright Every single night Cause there ain't no light pollution So it might be the land of time forgot Not everyone's cup of tea But it's just about perfect for me In the land of time forgot In a world of memories 
where you feel that this is as it was in the 1970s and this makes you feel anointed though the telly comes from Wales and the internet just flickers on the Bristol Channel gale 